What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. What a day, and thank you all for being with us here on The Exchange. <laughs> there is a lot going on. First up, the midterms and your money. What else? We're going to look at the possible scenarios coming out of today's election and what they might mean for the markets and your money. Speaking of markets, they've had a nice rebound recently. Best October ever for the Dow, but our guest says another dip may be coming. I'll explain why and what you should be buying if and when it does. And holy crypto, the developing and somewhat bizarre story around a massive bailout happening right now with one of the world's biggest crypto players. All that ahead. First, we start with the market numbers. Bob Pisani at the New York Stock Exchange with a lot of green on the screen on this election Tuesday. Bob. A lot. Three to one advancing the declining stocks here at the New York Stock Exchange. Similar over on the NASDAQ. And uh, look at these numbers here. Dow Industrial, 33,304. That is the highest level since late August, I believe. Uh, the S&P 500, look at this, 38.52. We're approaching the recent closing high. Remember, that was, uh, what was that, October 28th? It was 39.01. We were over 3,900 uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we're 50 points from that. Uh, the Nasdaq's the weakest of the group recently, and, and that's only 5 or 6% off its 52-week low. But even that's doing a little bit better. So I just want to show you some of the Dow movers here today. We've got a big story stock in Amgen. It's, it's up strongly. But the important thing here, and they had some good uh, medical news here on an anti-obesity drug. But Boeing, Caterpillar, and Honeywell, these have had just spectacular runs in the last couple of weeks. These are all up close to 20% um, since uh, the middle third week or so of, uh, of October. So what's happened is tech stocks have sort of fallen back a little bit recently, and some other groups like industrials have really come up. These big names, Boeing, Caterpillar, Honeywell, have had great, great runs. Today on the S&P 500, we have some earnings reports. Mosaic was better than expected, and that's dragging up some of the overall material sector. Uh, Norwegian Cruise Line is doing uh, had a very good earnings report, and that's dragging up uh, some of the travel stocks. So, for example, uh, Royal Caribbean is having a nice day. So earnings still matter. It's not all green necessarily, though. Uh, uh, Lyft shares are having a terrible day. They're they're down rather dramatically. There was there was you know signs of bigger competition there from uh, Uber stalling growth. Uh, there was a whole bunch of analysts. I lost track of them, at least a dozen uh, analysts who slashed their price targets uh, uh, by a very, very large amount after that came out. So you see Lyft down about 20 percent. But overall, Brian, three to one advancing declining stocks three days in a row of green. Back to you. All right, Bob, thank you very much. So, of course, the markets and America are keeping a close eye on the midterm results, especially in a handful of key states and even some key counties and all might determine control of the Senate. Lon Moy is here with us on set with what specifically to watch for as we head to the polls. Elon. Well, Brian, voters are casting their ballots today, but some of the most critical races are so close, we might not know the winners for several days or maybe even weeks. 
Take Georgia. GOP candidate Herschel Walker is running neck and neck with incumbent Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock. If neither candidate wins at least 50 percent of the vote, they'll have to hold a runoff election in December. Meanwhile, in Arizona, Democratic Senator Mark Kelly is duking it out with Republican Blake Masters. This morning, there were reports of issues at tabulators at about 40 polling sites. Officials said they are working on the problem, and a new law requires a recount in Arizona if the margin of victory is half a percent point or less. Maricopa County, which includes Phoenix and its suburbs, plans to have election workers in place past Thanksgiving and into Christmas. Now, over in the House, there are roughly three dozen toss-up races. The bulk of them are held by Democrats. And two in Virginia could give us an early indication of how the night is going to go. Democratic Representative Abigail Spanberger is in a tough fight against Latina conservative Yesley Vega in the 7th District. And Representative Elaine Loria, a Navy veteran who was on the House January 6th committee, is facing off against another female naval officer, Jen Kiggins. Now, both of these Democrats are moderate, who helped flip the House back in 2018. Brian, they are called frontliners for a reason. Yeah, Virginia, too, one of the more interesting states, your home state, by the way. My, my folks are still there as well. Um, when are we going to start to know? Virginia's pretty good about counting quickly, correct? When will we start to really get a feel? Yeah, well, Virginia's uh, polls closed at 7 p.m., one of the earliest in the country. But, you know, when I was listening to what some of the Arizona election officials had to say, they're thinking maybe 2 a.m. they should have 98 to 99 percent of the votes sort of counted. In, like 2 a.m. our time or like 2 a.m. Arizona weird time. Arizona, so which is like in time for WEX. Well, so I'm hosting I'm hosting WEX, WEX tomorrow morning, morning, so we might be we learning might some results from Arizona. But like I was saying, I mean, if a recount is triggered and by the way, this new law came about because of the 2020 presidential election where President Biden won by three tenths of a percentage point. If this new law is triggered, this could go through the end of the year. So it could be a very long time before we get final results. Obviously, Georgia, too. They've got kind of the same law. And there's a third party candidate in Georgia that's polling at like one and a half percent. I mean, that that might be this third party candidate may be the difference. Yeah. And that's really important because when you look at some of the recent polling numbers, it shows that uh, the candidate who potentially could win is just under 50 percent, maybe 49.5 percent of the vote. And if they don't hit that 50 percent threshold, you need a whole nother election and a whole new set of dynamics could come in play. All right. Well, sit sit tight. Stay here with us. I want to bring you into the conversation, bring in another voice as well. Let's bring in Ed Mills. He is Washington policy analyst and managing director at Raymond James. Uh, Ed, really, according to you, I'm going to quote you back to you. There really only are three plausible scenarios out of today's vote. Number one, the Democrats keep control of both houses. Polls suggest that is unlikely. Scenario two, Democrats lose the House but keep the Senate. Or three, the GOP flips both houses of Congress. Ed, you believe that a GOP take of the House is pretty much all but certain what are the odds on the Senate also going? Yeah, Brian, the Senate, you know, is really close. And it might seem strange to say that after we tabulate everything and we'll say hindsight is 2020, uh, you could see a scenario where Republicans end up with 53, 54 seats. Uh, and it really breaks decisively towards them. You could see a scenario where we have a 50-50 Senate or picking up a seat or two by Democrats. Um, we do think Republicans have the advantage coming into today. Um, that is the momentum we have seen in a lot of the polling data. Um, I think everyone is expecting a polling uh, miss that maybe continues to undercount Republicans. 
the thing that keeps us on our edge of our seat is what if there's a polling miss in favor of Democrats and that's being undercounted? So it's a, is it a red wave or is it that blue wall uh, that's going to stop? Them? Well, that, that's a great point about polling. And I think we've learned in the last few elections, polls can be useful in certain ways, but be very careful as well. Talk to us about the markets in the month of October. And I know our viewers are thinking, OK, if this changes, maybe it's good or bad for the stock market. Do you believe, and we were all talking about the Fed all October, everybody I was talking to was like, you know what, we think the market is running because the polls were changing in October. Do you buy into that? Brian, I do. So the Investment Strategies Committee here at Raymond James put together this really neat analysis that showed, on average, you know, the S&P 500, we know this is up throughout the course of the year. Uh, however, in midterm election years, it's usually weak up until the first week of October, and then outperforms, has a nice rally between October 10th and the end of the year. Adding on to that, we looked at it and said, 100% of the time since 1950, the market's up six months after the midterm election. 100% of the time, you know, 12 months after the election, it's been up since 1946. So the market is usually weak until the we start figuring out who might win, and then you see a little bit of a relief rally as that certainty comes back in. Eddie Tilan, I was hoping that you could maybe project forward a little bit because we've been having this debate internally on whether, you know, if the Republicans do take at least one chamber of Congress, does gridlock in Washington mean that nothing gets done? Or does it mean that we potentially go off a cliff on fiscal fights like government shutdown or on the debt ceiling? What do you think? Yeah, Elon, I put that into two buckets. One, there's still a ton of things that Democrats want to get done in this lame duck session. Uh, you could see electoral college reforms, uh, the codification of same-sex marriage. Uh, but there's the defense authorization bill where there's a cannabis-related uh, banking bill that could be part of that, some tax extenders, an energy permitting bill that Manchin has been pushing for. Could that get done in the lame duck? Could that get done even in a divided Congress? Next year, when I look at the most likely scenario that the Republicans have at least the House, a China bill that's tough on export controls, things that we saw in technology being expanded to biotechnology, clean energy um, is very likely, in my opinion. Uh, you do highlight the biggest risk to the market from D.C., which is the debt limit. I do think that that's going to be a fight that hasn't moved the markets since 2011 that plays out next year. The one caveat is, do Democrats try to get that done in the lame duck? I don't think they do, but if they were, that's a lot of upside surprise uh, by taking the biggest risk in 2023 from D.C. off the table. It feels like if if the Republicans take the House and possibly the Senate as well, Ed, that we might be in for a year and a half of just investigations, right? I mean, congressional hearings on the pandemic, on the president's son. I mean, is that good? Many, many members of Congress have said that that could be the case. Is that good for the country? Is that good for the market? So, Brian, I, I think it's from a market perspective is where I'll take this question. Yeah. Um, We're CNBC. You know, that's it. Yeah, that's I mean, that's that's our job. Right. So um, I don't think it really makes that big of a difference unless that really influences who might be the Democratic nominee or the Republican nominee coming out of uh, those investigations, if it really boosts or harms someone, if that really changes the outcome of the 2024 election. A lot of people look back and say the hearings that were held against uh, Hillary Clinton 
uh, when Republicans had control, weakened her enough that gave the opportunity for Donald Trump to win the presidency in 2016. Yeah. So that's where a investigation could have a real market implication. Yeah, and we'll let you go ahead, but Alon, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, and you wonder from a market's perspective, if we're in for a year or two years of this more vitriol. Yeah, but it's not just investigations of potentially Hunter Biden, et cetera, the pandemic. It's also potentially of corporations, right? You've heard Republicans say they want to bring up ESG. You've heard Republicans say they want to bring up what's commonly known as the don't say gay bill. So I think they're also going to be holding corporations' feet to the fire from the right. And that's going to be a very different tone in Washington from what we've heard of the past. Well, when it it comes to things like banning TikTok, there does appear to be some actual bipartisan support. Right. I mean, this is not that doesn't seem to be a real partisan issue, is it? Right. Different reasons, but same outcome. Elon, thank you. Ed, thank you, Elon. We'll see you for like the next 36, 38 hours. Sounds good. I'm Lex. Thank you. Thank you, Elon. (laughs) All right. And speaking of, be sure to tune in to tonight's CNBC election night special business on the ballot tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern. Obviously, all the business topics at play in the midterm, how the results either way, any of those scenarios we just laid out may impact your money. All right. Now to the developing story that is really rocking the crypto world. Singapore-based Binance is buying or perhaps bailing out rival exchange FTX. That is run by billionaire wonderkin Sam Bankman-Fried. Binance says that FTX came to them for help over liquidity concerns. But just yesterday, Bankman-Fried implied the firm was fine and actually on Twitter accused an unnamed rival of, quote, spreading false rumors. Now, the story is complicated. It is developing, and yes, it can be confusing. So let's all try to sort it out with what we do know right now with Kate Rooney. Kate, it is a developing story, and it is confusing at times. A lot of, <laughs> lot of odd lingo and terminology. Absolutely, Brian. We'll try to break it down, and there's a lot of moving parts here. But the big story in the headline here is that Binance, the global exchange, is planning to buy FTX.com. So this is the international side of Sam Bankman-Fried's crypto empire. It is separate from FTX US. And for context, that international part of the business is a huge bulk of revenue for FTX trading. That's the parent company. 95% of revenue comes from the international side. That was as of the first quarter of this year, according to its audited financials that we reported on a bit earlier this year. The deal hasn't closed yet. Binance's CEO saying that they still need to do due diligence. He says this was sparked by a liquidity crunch at FTX, which you could argue, Brian, in part was also sparked by the Binance CEO in some of his recent tweets. Binance was an early investor in FTX, but it sold equity, sold all of its equity in FTX's last round. And as part of that payout, it got a cryptocurrency called FTT. That is created and really tied and linked to FTX. Cheng Peng Zhao, who also goes by CZ, the Binance CEO, tweeting that the company was divesting all of its holdings in that cryptocurrency I mentioned. It came right after a report from Coindesk called into questions uh, Alameda Research's balance sheet. So for those who don't know that name, that is a crypto quant firm also founded by Sam Bankman-Fried and has close ties to FTX. The CEOs had been fighting about this back and forth over the weekend. Sam Bankman-Fried responded in a tweet saying that a competitor is trying to go after us with false rumors. He said FTX is fine. Assets are fine at the time. A few takeaways. One, Brian, this creates a massive global international crypto exchange. Combining these two basically make a global monopoly from investors and analysts that I'm talking to. The other big takeaway, Sam Bankman-Fried has essentially been crypto's white knight, as some have called him. Uh, He appears to now be on the other side of a bailout, but FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried had played this role 
as an industry backstop, really a lender of last resort. It bought Voyager out of bankruptcy, also bailed out BlockFi. Those deals have not closed yet, so it's still unclear if those will actually go through. And then finally, there's still some jitters around that hedge fund Alameda I mentioned and possible margin calls. Brian, back to you. There's a lot here. Kate, thank you very much. All right. Well, as Kate mentioned, that deal news of the deal comes on the heels of the Coindesk scoop about the balance sheet of Bankman Freed's trading firm called Alameda Research. It's not a research company. It's a trading firm. Coindesk reported that Alameda's books were full of those FTT tokens, effectively created out of thin air by FTX, which means it is backed by a coin that was invented by its sister company rather than a more independent asset. Now, if you are confused by some of this lingo, don't worry. It is confusing to me as well. Even if you're not deep into the crypto world, we get it. But let's keep working to make sense of all of this and what it might mean for crypto writ large. Joining us now is Emily Parker, executive director of global content at Coindesk. Emily, the story is it has a lot of sort of its own lingo, its own players. We yes, still, there's, a lot we, there's a lot we don't know. What does it mean for the industry writ large right now? You guys just did a fantastic job of summing up a very complicated situation. So, yes, um, as you said, this story came to light after my colleague Ian Allison at Coindesk kind of had this incredible scoop looking at Alameda's balance sheet and showing that much of it was FTX own token FTT. So this raises a lot of questions about the crypto industry, in particular, two real weaknesses in the crypto industry. One is a lack of transparency. Like, why did this come to light via Coindesk and not via more traditional means of disclosure. I mean, if Ian had not received that private document and not brought this to light, would people just not know this is going on? I mean, that's a real question about transparency and disclosures. That's one. And then the second one is this question about decentralization. So this is really ironic because crypto is supposed to be this truly decentralized industry. And yet over the past few months, we've seen power increasingly consolidated in two main players, one FTX and the other Binance. And now that is being reduced to one. I mean, you know, yeah. as you said earlier, FTX was really seen and Sam Beckman-Fried as this kind of savior of the industry. You know, he was like scooping up stakes in, in Voyager and BlockFi and, and, you know, trying to acquire everything. And now it's it's down to one player, basically, Binance. It's like, the you know, the 30-year-old genius, a little bit eccentric. Nobody understands him. Obviously, you just, if you don't agree with it, then you must, you know, you're not hip. I, I think we've seen some of these similar type stories before over the last, I don't know, three to 400 years. Um, let's talk about disclosure, okay? Because there are some wire stories out there. They may have been from you, Emily. Forgive me, it's all happening right away. Where Bankman Freed said that FTX had about $6 billion in withdrawals over a 72-hour period before Tuesday morning. That came in a telegram. Telegram is a messaging app, for people who don't know, to his staff. Now we have Sam Bankman Freed on Twitter saying, false rumors, everything's fine. Just from a very surface level, and I have a law degree, but I, I do not practice, there appears to be, to your point, perhaps some issue with public messaging here. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And again, this is an issue that goes way, way beyond SAM and FTX. For example, look at Celsius, right? The the failed crypto lender, you know, right before Celsius paused withdrawal, Celsius was also messaging to the public, everything's fine, don't worry, you know, your money is safe. So this is a big problem in crypto where what will happen is you'll have these huge players and then you'll sort of hear these rumblings on Twitter and you'll hear rumors and you, you'll hear certain people saying, uh, yeah, this seems, this seems somewhat shady. I think we should be careful. And then you'll have kind of the leaders of these companies come out and say, you're just spreading rumors, you're just spreading FUD, you know, that's a big term in crypto, and basically shutting it all down. So I think this is going to definitely cause another crisis of confidence. I mean, we've seen so many, I mean, we've seen Celsius go down, we've seen Terra go down, UST go down. Um, You know, this is just, this is just kind of like the last, another domino to fall. Well, well, to your point about kind of a semi I mean, it's supposed to be the most decentralized industry. Now it appears that we have a basically a near global monopoly with one firm and maybe some other players. We have the election. If the Republicans get control of one or both houses and we know what some of their commentary has, some of them have, have made about crypto, isn't it likely given this, given Voyager, given three arrows, given Celsius, hard not to see some perhaps new and very tough regulation coming down the political pike. That's absolutely right. Look, I think crypto regulation is coming no matter what. Even if this hadn't happened, there have been so many red flags in this industry and so much concern about consumer protection that we will see crypto regulation coming in the United States or increased crypto regulation coming in the United States. The problem is, is that often the pace of crypto is faster than attempts by the government to regulate it because you're still seeing in Washington people trying to understand it. You're seeing partisan bickering. And, you know, we have to mention the midterm elections. Crypto is not the biggest issue in the midterm elections, right? I mean, crypto is kind of like inserting itself into the national drama today. But for the most part, it's not really a main issue for voters. So What's it's a- going to take a while for it to become prioritized, I think, but by policymakers. But yes, crypto regulation is coming. And I think we'll start seeing it, for example, with stable coins or with other areas that lawmakers have pointed out are a big risk. To what's, what's it, Emily, what's it going to mean for crypto as an investment generally? Well, you know, I think that we, you know, we've been saying this all along. It's that this is a very like do your own research kind of industry and don't just believe what you hear. I mean, just because you have some exchange or you have some crypto leader out there saying everything's fine. I mean, don't necessarily believe that. Right. And I think this is what, I mean, you know, this raises a lot of questions like, were there other things that Sam Bankman fried wasn't transparent about? And I think that that's going to be an important lesson for investors. I mean, this is very interesting too, because another moral of the story is how much of crypto is a non-US phenomenon you know this this is this is affecting sort of the non-us um parts of binance and ftx and and ftx is a huge exchange but most of its footprint is outside of the united states i'm going to make a a bit of a a comparison and it may not be good and if it's not i want you to say brian that's that's dumb and, and has nothing to do with what i'm talking about but your reporting on the trading side of the business alameda research it's a trading firm you're reporting that the balance sheet was bolstered in large part by this FTT token, which is created by FTX, correct? So there's two businesses, FTX. Is this kind of the same as I start a bank, Sully Bank. I print my own currency, Sully Dollars. I then back up Sully Bank's balance sheet with Sully Dollars. I mean, is that kind of what has been uncovered, that there weren't a lot of other assets? There weren't a lot of other depositors, the bank, the bank was in large part just 
Sully bucks. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's a reasonable analogy, Thank and you. I think that's what caused yes, I think that's what caused so much alarm, and that's why Binance reacted a- after this disclosure in, in saying that you know Binance CZ said that he planned to sell his holdings of uh, the FTT token because it showed that so much of this balance sheet was yeah. made up of this token, right? So clearly yeah. and, that and, is the takeaway that people in the industry had from this report. Well, I, I got two two other takeaways, Emily. I don't need you to comment. Number one, they named a stadium. Okay, and Mm -hmm. if you're in the business, stadium name deals always get a little, you know, eye roll. And number two, that remember the Larry David Super Bowl commercial where he was wrong Mm -hmm. about everything, and it was an FTX commercial, and he was they were basically implying that he he was wrong about everything, and it was about FTX. Inadvertently, Larry David, I don't know, for the win, Emily Parker, thank you, (laughs) thank you. That that commercial, by the way, if you haven't watched, go back on YouTube and watch it. It will not age well all right certainly more to come all day on this rather odd story but up next with all that is going on do not forget about the federal reserve remember them and your next guest has some names to help you minimize the risk to your money plus the house of mouse and your kids online worlds both ahead and earnings exchange Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right, welcome back. And the fall stock rally rolls on. We are up again with the Dow hitting its highest intraday level since all the way back in August. Nice rally there for the Dow. What is it up? Uh, 358, something like that. Your next guest says the pain may not be all over. He says use any dips if we get them to load up on longer term winners at a discount. For more, let's welcome in Mark Avalon. He is president of Potomac Wealth Advisors. Mark, good to see you in the daylight hours. It's, right. it's been a feel good couple weeks let's not i don't want to take anything away from it. it's been a tough year so it's nice to see some pops sounds like you're not convinced that it's just all good news from here well that's right brian and we've had some pops earlier we had some in june if you recall and and the market got a little bit ahead and the fed took away the punch bowl and they did it again in september and going into october we, we were unsure but the market is rallying again and yet inflation has not slowed down. We don't have a print yet that shows it's slowed, and we haven't had a change in tone or policy from the Fed. So there's a very good chance that this is this bit of euphoria may be tempered once again by the, the, the Scrooge mentality over at the Fed. Well, okay, Scrooge mentality, but, but you have to admit they, they were the Scrooge McDuck a year ago with like, you know, the, the d- jump at the billion jump jumping into the pool full of gold coins. You remember that, you know, cartoon 
That's what yeah. they were doing last year. So is it a surprise to anybody that they're now Ebenezer Scrooge, you know, taking all those gold coins away? I mean, I, if this comes as a surprise to anybody, I don't, I don't know if they should be in the investing business. Well, they're trying to fix a problem that they created. So your point is correct and well taken. And right now, all eyes are on the Fed. They really also should be on inflation. That's the dynamic duo driving the markets. Yes, we're looking at the dollar. We're looking at earnings. We're looking at, at, at this election cycle. But it comes down to, is inflation slowing? And until we get clarity on that, committing all your capital to your stock allocation, I think is a bit premature. I do think, however, as you look out, stocks become more attractive. Look, a year ago in October, the market was at a 23 multiple. Now it's under 16. The, the, the roles have been reversed. So if you're looking longer term, this is a better valuation. I'm just saying, let's wait until we get a bit of clarity on those all important inflation numbers. Okay, let's talk about what to do. There is an election, by the way. And however it turns out, we're not being partisan here. But if the polls are correct and the GOP does take the House and or the Senate, given all the tensions with China and the fact that they're building aircraft carriers, China's really arming itself, and we're not talking a lot about it, but they are, is this all kind of, I guess, sadly, good news for the U.S.? aerospace and defense industry. Well, as you say, it's unfortunate, but it is true. And I think all uh, the other countries that are looking at what Russia's doing with sending in a drone war into Ukraine is going to want the other countries to get air defense systems. And our companies like Raytheon and Lockheed are leaders in that. And I think if investors want to look at a defense sector ETF, that's probably a better way to play it than an individual name. There's single company risk in a bear market. And at this point, we prefer to be broader based in an, in an ETF. And I think the, the defense sector ETFs, which have names like a Lockheed or like a Raytheon and even Boeing are going to be well positioned to um, capitalize on this unfortunate uh, war that we're seeing and, and the effects it'll have in other countries. Yeah. China building aircraft carriers and a mock-up of a U.S. carrier in the desert for some reason. Scary times. Mark Avalon, appreciate it. Thank you very much. The ITA. Good to be here. All right. Coming up, why pipelines and giant ships filled with frozen gas may be the key to making you a lot of money in the months and years ahead. Stick around. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. I'm Tyler Matheson with your CNBC News update, and here's what's happening at this hour. Hey, Powerball fans, there is a winner, a single ticket 
sold in Altadena, California, has won the jackpot worth $2 billion, $40 million, the lump sum prize, a little under $998 million. No one has won Powerball's grand prize in three months until now. In and around Phoenix, Arizona, tech support workers have been sent out to determine why some vote counting machines are unable to read ballots. Maricopa County election officials say about 20% of vote tabulators are having issues right now. Voters are being given the option of putting their ballots in lockboxes or going to another location to cast their votes. Officials say these backup plans were made to ensure that all ballots are counted and they repeated warnings that it could take days to count all the votes. Elsewhere around the country, election disruptions have mostly been minor, with isolated reports of voter intimidation. In Louisiana, a bomb threat forced the relocation of one polling site. Brian, that's the latest news. Up to the minute. Back to you. All right, Tyler, thank you very much. All right, on deck, earnings exchange with the House of Mouse and Online Worlds. The action, the story, and the trade. Next. And welcome back to The Exchange. We are now half past the halfway point of the earnings season, but there are some key reports still to come, including the one Dow component of the week. So let's get the action, the story, and the trade in today's earnings exchange. And we're going to begin with the Dow name, and that is, of course, Disney, reporting after the bell today. Shares cut in half on their all-time high of 201 back in March of 2021. Streaming pains, the future of ESPN, Hulu, all things to watch tonight. Steve Kovac has the story on Disney. And Quint Tatro has the trades. He is founder and president of Jewel Financial. Steve, what are we looking for tonight with Disney? Yeah, Brian, it, it's streaming, 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 and more streaming. So what we're looking for are these Disney Plus subscriber numbers. Street's looking for 160 million subscribers or so. But more important than that number is actually what we're hearing about uh, ARPU. That's average revenue per user and whether or not they can increase how many people uh, or how much people are paying. So that price increase on Disney Plus, that starts going up in a month from now, $10.99 a month, $7.90 a month for uh, the uh, ad-supported version. And also there's this really cool experiment going on within Disney about can they use Disney Plus as this flywheel to inform other products? For example, just a few weeks ago, Brian, they put forward a program to give you exclusive access to special Disney merchandise if you're a Disney Plus subscriber. So if that experiment pays off, off, expect them to layer on more benefits on top of, of that. So I'm going to be looking for a lot of those comments on the call, Brian. All right, Steve. Thank you. Quint, to you. Listen, I, I get the streaming, 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 streaming thing that Steve said, but let's also talk about the dollar, 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 because I've got to imagine that streaming aside, the stronger U.S. dollar is going to play some kind of role in how those Disney numbers look tonight. Yeah, Sully, you're spot on here. I mean, 25% of Disney revenue comes from overseas, and it's going to be a huge headwind. So I think that's anticipated. I, I don't think that's going to be a shocker. Uh, but if the dollar strength persists, then it's something that investors have to factor in going forward. I am inclined to think that the streaming numbers are really going to be good, and, and I think they have pricing power. I don't think that anybody's going to balk at a few more dollars to keep the kids entertained in front of the Disney, you know, Set. It's not it's not a problem there. Uh, the reality, though, even though the stock is fundamentally attractive, 19 times forward earnings, they're set to grow this year at 39 percent, modest debt to equity. 
The problem I see is that they've kind of lost their direction. They don't really know where they're going, who, who they are, what, what they're looking to become in the future. And I can't become comfortable with the stock again until I see that and I hear that. And you don't get paid to wait anymore, right? There's no dividend. So right now, Disney is just not for me. I, I think they're going to be good okay. numbers. Wouldn't be surprised to see a pop, but not for me. Not for you. Got it. All right, next up. Roblox. Investors there getting pummeled. Stock losing 72% off its peak value. Company announcing much of their new metrics for daily active users and bookings already. But Steve, what more can we expect from what has been a very volatile Roblox, which, as you reported a couple weeks ago, is also now going to be introducing advertising? That's, that's part of the story, too, Brian. But first of all, it's those user numbers and how much they're spending within the game. Now, we heard from Take-Two Interactive just last night, and we heard from EA, Electronic Arts, the week before. And they're all pointing to these really sour and dour uh, mobile gaming numbers. You know, Take-Two revised their guidance down last night because mobile gaming is kind of falling off a cliff as we come out of the pandemic and people aren't spending as much time on their phones anymore. So they have that huge headwind ahead of them, which is why you're seeing Roblox it put forward new products like this advertising thing that's going to start you know rolling out more slowly but the idea is look we can create this new kind of interactive advertising not just billboards within the metaverse but look they really got to find ways to keep people the users they have if they can't grow them as quickly keep them within the game because when the more people stay within the game at roblox they like to say that's how much more they're spending and of course age is also a thing it's yeah. it's he was very young so any more color we get on how that audience might be aging up is also very important brian well you're also quint just better on kids in many ways. I mean, some of these games that were hot, you know, all these first-person shooters and these survival games like Player Unknowns, we don't even talk about them anymore. Now they talk about Elden Ring and other stuff. I just don't know if we want to bet everything on Roblox, right? And and the kids, it, it's it's the new Minecraft. Yeah, my kids said stay away. He said it's not even in anymore. Don't touch it. Now the re, you know this is an interesting one because if we get any sort of decent numbers here. This stock could have an, a significant short squeeze and be a momentum type trade into the end of the year. But betting on this ahead of the report, no way. I mean, it's just you're 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 playing with the lotto and it's not even a Powerball type ticket. So this one debt to equity two to one. I mean, they're losing money that we got to hear about their pro, you know path to profitability. But it, if it is improved, this is one of those where we're watching closely. If they show these things that are positive and they're on the road to profitability and we're seeing strong numbers, this one, this could be a good trader into the end of the year. But we don't have a position here. Wouldn't touch it into earnings. OK, well said. And by the way, shout out to your kid. I mean, you don't you, you get my point. You're, you're betting on trends that will come and go sometimes in, in a matter of years. And then they, they go. I don't know if this will or not. But Quint Tatro, Steve Kovac, we got to go. Our time is up. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Want to show you shares of Coinbase. It is back down near session lows. The company reporting that some users are experiencing network connection issues for Coinbase.com and the mobile version as well. Coinbase says it is investigating the issue. Stock went green on the news that Binance would be buying or bailing out FTX's non-U.S. division earlier today, but Coinbase is now down big as well. User connection issues, they are working on it. All right, still ahead. Check out this mystery chart. The company surging more than 600% during the pandemic and then crashed back down to earth 
down 97% this year. Any reason to talk about this company? We're going to find out and reveal the mystery chart coming up. Stick around. All right, happy midterm election voting day. It is finally upon us, and guess what's happening? The stock market is rallying as well. The Dow is up 324 points. NASDAQ up six-tenths of 1%, although I will say we are about uh, 200 points off the high of the day for the Dow. All right, the mystery chart we just showed you was Carvana, hitting an all-time low as its decline continues. The company has wiped out half of its market value in just two trading sessions following weak results. I want to repeat that. They wiped out half their value in just two sessions. The value, by the way, had already been slammed. Now, Carvana's market cap is just around a billion dollars. It was worth 60 billion at its pandemic peak. Carvana just having a tough time and down again today. All right, coming up, energy's electric run. Many oil and gas stocks having their best year ever. But is the run nearing an end or just getting started? We'll talk about it next. All right, welcome back. Energy has been on a tear this year. Crude up 20%, nat gas up 67%, and the stocks even more, with the median return of a big cap oil company in America at 70%. That's a 70% gain this year. All this is the war in Ukraine rages on, and countries around the world, including right here in the U.S., face potential energy shortages this winter. Let's talk about the future of energy and how to make money from it. Joining us now is Kane Anderson, CEO Al Rabel. They own closed-end ETFs, and they are big investors in energy companies. And Al, it's great to have you on the exchange. Thanks very much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brian. Appreciate it. Uh, how much more upside do you see in energy stocks? Because best when I hear best year ever, it makes me a little nervous. Yeah, I think there's a lot more to go. I actually think we're entering an energy super cycle, Brian. Um, you know, the reality is that we've got a structural deficit in the world, and that even predated the Russia-Ukraine war. Um, energy is 4% of the S&P 500, as you well know, but about 12% of the earnings. And, you know, the, the reason that it's only 4% of the S&P 500 from a value perspective is that obviously there are projections that oil and gas will come down, that earnings will decrease um, and moderate over time. I, I don't see that happening, to be to be perfectly candid with you. I think we've got a massive deficit of natural gas in Europe. The world is scrambling to try to fill that gap. And we've got inelastic demand on the oil side. We've got China shut down, but we can really only produce about 100 million barrels a day. We don't see that going up. So, you know, the reality is at some point, China is going to reopen. Um, we've got a finite amount of oil that we can produce on a daily basis. And, yep. and as you well know, the, the U.S. is not producing at its maximum capacity or anywhere near it at this point in time. When I'm looking at the midterm elections, obviously energy is probably one of the bigger spaces that might be impacted regardless of what happens. A name you like is Atarga. Uh, it's a well-known old Porsche version, but it's also a pipeline company, <laughs> Al. And the one thing I think about is if we do get Republican control, maybe with Manchin flipping or whatever, whatever may happen, we may get more pipelines in this country. Is that one of the reasons you like Atarga? I do like Targa. Targa really controls both the gathering and processing and the infrastructure to take oil and gas and, and NGLs from the wellhead to the dock. Um, Targa uh, invested over $7 billion from 2017 to 2019. Um, they're, they're investing about a billion to a billion and a half a year now on the CapEx side. So they're coming off of 
huge CapEx investments, and they're, they're reaping the benefits of that in terms of free cash flow. As you know, they just reported $768 million of EBITDA at $70 mm-hmm. a share. Targer's looking at about eight times uh, eight times EBITDA for 2023 uh, for 2023 EBITDA, so which we consider and I consider, you know, quite a reasonable valuation, uh, particularly given my comments earlier. Yeah, and then also renewables. We don't talk about that enough. It is a obviously a big part of the energy mix. It is a growing part of the energy mix, and there's a couple hundred billion dollars in tax credits being thrown at the industry from the Inflation Reduction Act, which is why I'm a little confused by the relative underperformance of many of the renewables, in particular a company like NextEra Energy, the biggest renewable power producer in the United States. What's, what's wrong here? I don't think anything's wrong at the company level. I think that you know, you're, you're looking at, obviously, a moderation. NextEra is down about 16% year-to-date. That, that's about 1,000 basis points worse than, than most utilities. Historically, NextEra is traded at a significant premium, and I think for good reason, to many utilities. Shout out to my good friend, Jim Robo, who just retired as CEO of NextEra, did an unbelievable job there the last 20 years. NextEra controls 15% of the U.S. renewable assets. Um, it, mm-hmm. it will be a consolidator. Um, it, it's also the largest, uh, as you know, utility controlling Florida power and light. So very consistent, solid earnings, huge upside from the renewable side, regardless of where you fall on the fossil fuels, renewables, um, conversation, yeah. the reality is that we need more of both. Um, we, energy it. needs are going up. Yeah. yeah energy was, needs are going up 50% between now and 2050. So we need more of both. It's not an or, it's an and. That was so well said. The numbers bear it out. It's amazing. People don't realize. It's like, we got to get rid of all that. No, no, we need everything. Al, thank you very much. Al Rabel, uh, appreciate that of Kane Anderson. Have a great day. Thank you. All right, still ahead. More signs. The easy money days are over, particularly in the auto industry. Phil Lebeau up next with that. Welcome back. The number of Americans struggling to make their car payments is growing and often at an alarming rate. Phil Lebeau here with more on this story. Phil. Brian, this is data from TransUnion and a good snapshot of where the consumer is right now, especially when it comes to making auto loan payments. And what TransUnion has found is that 60-day delinquencies, meaning somebody hasn't made a payment within the last 60 days, that rate at 1.65%. Easily the highest that they've seen in at least 10 years. The growth in those non-payments, if you will, is in the subprime loan area. And that's primarily because loan assistance programs that were in effect during the pandemic, they've ended. So a lot of those people who probably would have been delinquent during the pandemic are now showing up as delinquent. All of this comes as average loans remain close to a record high. Almost $42,000, according to TransUnion, meaning your average monthly payment for a new vehicle still tops $700. A couple of stocks to focus on. Carvana, I know you mentioned it a few minutes ago, Brian. Keep in mind that J.P. Morgan cut its price target in half on Carvana, saying that Carvana is still not out of the woods. The debt area is what a lot of people are focused on with Carvana. And then you've got two earnings reports that are important. Today, after the bell, we get Lucid. Focus is going to be on production and deliveries, and it's also going to be the focus production and deliveries tomorrow when Rivian reports after the bell. Brian, back to you. Look forward to all those numbers. Phil LeBeau, appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right, folks, that does it for us here on The Exchange. See you tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.